Open your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 17, and let's continue talking about thanks. Because we can and should be thankful people. Luke chapter 17. Familiar passage of Scripture, I'm sure. It's a fun passage of Scripture. Luke 17, verse 11. While he was on his way to Jerusalem, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten leprous men stood at a distance, met him, and they raised their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they were going, they were cleansed. Now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him, and he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed, but the nine? Where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Stand, stand up and go, your faith has made you well. Well, we had a, last week we had a, a long message, uh, a lot of verses on thankfulness, so I, there's no doubt that certainly we can all agree that Christians ought to be thankful people. That thankfulness ought to be what Christians are all about. And, and, and if we can't start there, we're in big trouble, aren't we? If we can't start at that premise with believers being thankful people, man, we've missed the boat. We need to be incredibly thankful people. Let's just be reminded of the big reason why. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. And then we'll go to Ephesians. And and we read these really cool verses that just are awesome. Colossians chapter 1, beginning at verse 21. And although you you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds... Yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. Well, I would think we should be thankful. Ephesians chapter 1. Or we're going to go chapter 2 actually, sorry. Chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy... Because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not as a result of works, so that no one may boast, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Those two passages, and there are multiple passages like that, obviously, in the New Testament. Isn't that reason enough to be thankful? If God saved us, redeemed us, gave us new life, rescued us, changed us, took us from here to there, made us new, 
gave us new creation, made us new creations, gave us the Holy Spirit, all the things that these passages talk about and more. If God did that, and then in all honesty did nothing else, shouldn't we still be thankful? Look what he's done. Look how God has redeemed. And you know, over my years in ministry, obviously I have done, um, I have lost track of how many funerals I've done over the years. I can guarantee you that this is the thing that matters, right? (laughs) This is it. We say goodbye to loved ones. Someone's going to say goodbye to you someday. This is the thing we should be thankful for, that Jesus Christ saves. He redeems. And it may be that we need to, to read redemption passages on a regular basis, almost daily, so that we're thankful for the rest of the day. So that those little irritants of life don't seem quite as big. So that those problems and this and that, they seem pretty minor and insignificant compared to the fact that I have been redeemed. I am saved. And I belong to Jesus Christ. So, we should end the message right there, right? (laughs) We're saved! Let's be thankful. And you know, anytime a preacher says that, he never means it. We never end the message. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. Review a couple of verses from last week. It says this, In everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. In everything give thanks. We are to be thankful people. We need to give thanks in everything. This is God's will for us. Let's live in the will of God. Let's give thanks. Colossians chapter 3, verse 15. And again, this is from last week. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Why? Well, because of what Christ has done. The peace of Christ rules in your hearts. Be thankful. And then 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 15. For all things are for your sakes, so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. All of this thanks that abounds through people from God is going on so that God can get the glory. Well, we ought to be thankful people. We need to be people that give thanks because of what He has done for us, because of how He has interacted with us and saved us and how He keeps us and what He does for us. That we would truly be thankful people. And yet, in all honesty, we need to ask ourselves the questions. Are we? Oh, we're thankful when we come to church and we utter the words, thank you for this day, probably before we start any other prayer. We pray before we eat normally and say thanks for the food. All right, I get all that. Are we thankful people? Are you thankful? We need to check that in our life on a regular basis, don't we? Are we thankful as we ought to be? Well, Luke chapter 11, or Luke chapter 17, is a passage that challenges us to make sure that we are thankful on a regular basis. Luke chapter 17. So as we begin this passage of Scripture, we see that Jesus is 
on his way to Jerusalem. He's passing between Samaria and Galilee. He's passing along the border of Samaria and Galilee. Some Bibles say through Samaria. It really doesn't matter. It doesn't change any of this here. He's close to or in Samaria, and he's traveling along. Right away in the next verse, we meet the main players in this story. He, as he enters a village, ten leprous men who stood at a distance met him. These leprous men were doing exactly what they needed to do. They were staying away. They were at a distance. They were not allowed to come near to people. They had to announce themselves on a regular basis so that people would not come near to them by accident, touch them. They were considered unclean. They were required to stand away from people. They were required to stay away from crowds. They were not allowed to be a part of society. They didn't fit in. They were outcasts. And they were told to stay away. You're not welcomed. You're not wanted. Well, clearly Jesus was getting quite a reputation at this point. Here we are in chapter 17 of Luke. He was the one who had great power. He was the one that was doing remarkable miracles. He was the one that was displaying the glory of the Father over and over again. He was the one that was showing uh, uh, the, the power that he possessed. He was the one that was showing compassion. He was showing insight on a regular basis without fail. He was getting quite the reputation He had revealed himself as the one who could heal. He had revealed himself as the one who could fix whatever it is you needed fixed in your life. People had seen his miracles. And they were overwhelmed, obviously. So, these ten maybe knew he was coming. We don't know. Maybe they just saw Jesus and the disciples. We don't know. But there they are. They're at a distance. They see him. And it says in verse 13, they raise their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. They knew who Jesus was and they knew they could call upon him. Master, have mercy on us. This word master that we read in this particular verse is a pretty rare word in the New Testament referring to Jesus. It is used in Luke only. He applied it to Jesus often. We don't read it applied to him anywhere else outside of this particular book. And it was a a word that declared, I know you have authority. I know you are the boss. I know you are in charge. I know you are over everything. If you would say, I'd like to see the master of the household, you're talking about the person that's in charge and has power over the household. Jesus was the master. He declared the fact that he was the master over and over again, and these guys understood the truth about him. And they cried out, which was uh, a common, common plea, have mercy on me, have compassion on me. Show me that you care for me by doing this great thing for me right now. And they cried out because they wanted healing. Would you come do something for me? Verse 14. When Jesus saw them, he responded to them. And what I want to say about that is when Jesus saw them, when Jesus heard them, he cared. He cared. We who have been saved for a long time we can kind of get into a habit or a rut, if you will, kind of a, just accepting the way life is and moving along. And, and because life just kind of travels along, every once in a while we might wonder, what, does, does God really care? Or has he kind of wound up the, the, the world and stepped away? I know, I know he saved me. I know I belong to him and all that. But do, does he really care 
Is there some real care? And, and we need to be reminded on a regular basis that, yeah, God cares a lot for you. Never doubt that. Go to 1 Peter chapter 5. This is something that just should be a part of our life on a regular basis. And as I embrace this idea of God caring for me deeply, it's going to create a sense of thankfulness in me on a regular basis. It's going to make me far more thankful than I was before. Aren't you thankful? Don't you have some interaction with people that express their concern with you on a regular basis? Don't you tell them, thank you, that's very kind. If somebody does something really wonderful for you, don't you let them know how great that was? Well, same with God. In 1 Peter chapter 5, we read this in verse 6. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all of your anxiety or care upon him because he cares for you. What a great verse. Humble yourself. Understand that he's God and he is awesome and he's amazing. He's the creator. Humble yourself before God so that he can lift you up. Don't lift yourself up. Let him lift you up. And then it says, casting all of your anxiety, the things that worry you, the things that consume you, the things that fret you, the things that cause you to concentrate on them and nothing else and not get anything else done, cast all of your anxiety on him. Why? The Bible simply says, because he cares for you. The God of the universe, the God who spoke all of creation into being, the God who made Adam and Eve, the God who spoke with Noah and Abraham. The God who dealt with Jacob. The God who spoke to the prophets. The God who came to earth as a baby as we're getting ready to celebrate Christmas. The God who, who walked on the earth and saw people. The God who, who was crucified and buried and risen again. The God who lives in heaven right now. The God who is preparing a place for you cares for you and what's going on in your life this very moment. Isn't that cool? Isn't that great? Man, we live in a, we live in a pretty w busy world, don't we? We can be surrounded by people and be all alone, can't we? God cares for you. God cares for you more than your spouse cares for you. God cares for you more than your parents care for you. God cares for you more than your best friend cares for you. God cares for you more than the most important person in the world cares for you. God cares for you. It's a simple word. It's a simple phrase. And yet we understand what it means. Casting all of your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. He is interested in you. Don't you dare go through your day and not talk to the God who cares for you about your life and your day. Don't be silly. Don't throw that away. Talk to him throughout the day. Talk to him about the little things and the big things and, and all the things that are going on. Talk to him about his creation. Talk to him about the oddities of life. Talk to him instead of, you know, going crazy with other things. Say, Lord, that, that person that's in front of me, maybe they're having a terrible day. That's why they just can't find their money in their wallet, you know? Maybe they're, they're, they've had a rotten day. Help them out. Talk to God about things instead of allowing life to drive you nuts. Turn with me to Mark chapter 10. I love this little portion of Scripture in Mark chapter 10. Verse 46 
This is just so cool. It says in Mark chapter 10, verse 46, Then they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a large crowd, a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the road. When he heard that it was Jesus the Nazarene, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And you can imagine, right, because he's sitting there begging, and again, it's kind of like the lepers. Jesus, is, he's heard about Jesus. Jesus, is, Jesus, and he starts shouting out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. You know, I need some attention here. I need some help. And then in verse 48, many were sternly telling him to be quiet. You can imagine, right? Those people around. Shh. Jesus doesn't have time for people like you. Jesus, this is, he's an important guy. He wants, to, he wants to hang out with other important people. He, he's an important guy, and, and, and he wants to see the best our city has to offer. Not you. You be quiet. Shh. Stop it. And it says that his response to that was he kept crying out all the more. Son of David, have mercy on me. And apparently his voice was over the crowd. And, and of course Jesus heard him. And Jesus stopped. And he said, call him here. So some people went and got Bartimaeus. And, and they said, take courage, stand up because he's calling you. You can imagine his excitement and his heart and the thrill of his very being right now after sitting how long, day after day, begging in the same place, wanting to try to get a little bit of money to live, a little help to survive. Take courage. Jesus, the son of David, he's calling you. He wants to talk to you. Throwing aside his cloak, he jumped up, it says, and he came to Jesus. Verse 51, And answering, Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? Is that one of the greatest phrases in all the Bible? Blind Bartimaeus throw off, throws off his coat, goes with some help, stands right in front of Jesus, and you can tell that Jesus, he would have been looking at him, and he said, What do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? What a cool thing. Jesus cares. I don't think anything has changed. I believe that when we cry out to God, I believe that our Heavenly Father still says, what do you want me to do for you? How can I help you? The Bible says that earthly fathers... They don't deal with their children properly all the time. Your Heavenly Father always deals with His children properly. What do you want me to do for you? How can I help you? And He didn't beat around the bush at all in verse 51. I want to get my sight back. I want to see. Anytime we do any kind of a study on prayer, anytime I do any kind of a study on prayer, about all of the ins and outs of prayers and, 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 and how we ought to pray and why we ought to pray and all of the things we do about pray, I always will go to this because I want to remind people that part of prayer is that God is saying, what do you want me to do for you? And you need to be honest and say, this is what I want. Lord, this is, this is what I want. Now, obviously, you need to be prepared for the fact that the Lord may say, that's not the best thing for you. That's not the best thing for you. But the fact of the matter is, no matter what his answer is for you, he still has great compassion for you, 
in whatever is going on in your life. Of all of the things that I want you to to gain today as we go through this, I want you to go home with this. Your God cares for you deeply. Your God has great compassion for you regularly. Your God cares about what is going on in your life. And as we saw in Sunday school, in John chapter 11, your God tends to weep when you weep and rejoice when you rejoice. That's your God. He's a great God. A great God. Then one last one. I think about Psalm 23. Just flip on over there if you need to. Maybe you have it memorized. Because we are reminded with this remarkable psalm that is good for so many occasions. It simply says this, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Why? Because He cares for you. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Why? Well, because He cares for you. He leads me beside the quiet waters. Why? Well, because He cares for you. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Why? Well, for His name's sake and because He cares for you. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Well, because you're with me and your rod and your staff, they comfort me because He cares for you. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. I have a regular feast in front of those all the time. Why? Because He cares for me. You've anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows because every single Christian needs to understand that we go through life drinking from the saucer, right? Our cup is overflowing and we're drinking from the saucer. Why? Because He cares for us. He loves us. And the psalmist ends this psalm by saying, Surely goodness and loving kindness, mercy and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. Why? Because He cares for me. And I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever because He cares for me. Never doubt that God cares for you. Never doubt. Now before we move on from that, make sure that you're like the leper. Make sure you're like Bartimaeus. It does no good to simply understand that the Lord cares for you and then go along your your merry way. Make sure that you run to Him. Make sure that you're a part of Him. Make sure that you're talking to Him. Make sure you're sharing your heart with Him. Make sure you're praising and thanking Him as we're about to see here. Go back to Luke chapter 17 if you're not back there already. So it says that, that they said, Master, have mercy on us. He, he saw them and he said to them in verse 14, Go and show yourselves to the priests. So his mercy was, go and show yourself to the priests. Go and do that. Go and show yourself to the priests. And then it says in verse 14, And as they were going, they were cleansed. Now that's an important thing here. Okay. Now I want to make sure that we understand this teaching. This teaching is not teaching us some sort of an interesting formula about anything. What it's telling us is we need to respond to God in faith. And then God works in our life in amazing ways. Okay? Draw near to God and He'll draw near to you. 
Come unto me, all you who are weak and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. God is the God who has done all of the work, and then he says, and he says to us as believers, I'm here for you. All you got to do is take that step. I'm here, believer. I belong. You belong. We're together. Take that step. We need to be doing things. One of the mistakes that Christians make on a regular basis is that we think that, that God is going to do all of these things without us being a part of anything. I don't know why it is that God has decided to do it this way, but God has decided to do it this way. He has said, I want you to cooperate with me. You need to do your part. You need to step out. You need to explore I tell people we talk about God's will and what do you think I should do about this and what do you think I should do about that? I think that you should explore that option. I think you should go down that road and when that door shuts, graciously say, okay, Lord, that's not the direction you'd have me to go. Don't, don't go out the window then. Continue going a different direction and see what it is that the Lord has. But what we do is we stay way back here and we say, God, I want you to, to show me all those things. And God says, start going forward. I'll, I'll give you some insight. Start going forward. So he said to them, go show yourself to the priest because that's what needed to happen. The reason why he said go to the priest is because when a leper was cleansed, their job was to go to the priest, do the offering, and have the priest inspect them and and declare them to be cleansed. So going to the priest was a part of this process. So in effect, what Jesus was saying, and, and whether they completely understood this or not, I don't know, but they did go, was... You're cleansed. Go have the priest verify it, in effect, is what Jesus was saying. Okay? Jesus deals like that. God deals with those things, doesn't he? It's done already. I've taken care of it. Go to the, go to the priest, and they'll take care of you. They'll certify the fact that you are cleansed. It says, as they were going, they indeed were cleansed. What a cool thing that would have been. Now, we have no way of understanding what was going on in their world and in their life. We don't have anything like it in our society and in this room today. Nothing like it. Now you go overseas, you can find things and it can make sense. We have nothing in our world that we can talk about how, how, how we would be shunned like they were shunned. We have no idea what it would be like to not be able to be social in any way, shape, or form, not to associate, not to be able to come into this room and sit with other people, not to be able to go shopping, not to be able to be in crowds. We have no way of understanding that and knowing that probably. It's foreign to us. They were completely and totally ostracized. They were considered the lowest of low of low. And as they're going from Jesus to the priest, all of a sudden they're cleansed. They're healed. Their leprosy is gone. Can you imagine what that would be like? That's beyond us, I think. I mean, wow! How amazing! And it says in verse 15, Now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back glorifying God with a loud voice. You would think that that would be it, wouldn't you? You would think that, that, that turning back and glorifying God with a loud voice would be it. I mean, they were willing to, to, to stand at a distance and raise their voices and say, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So you would, you would think that when they were cleansed, they would be willing with their loud voices to say, He did it! He did it! He did it! Look, He did it! I'm cleansed! Look! He did it. Jesus did this. And indeed the one was. The one of them 
When he saw he had been healed, he turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice. He fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to them. And he was a Samaritan, the Bible says. He was a person that really wasn't part of the Jewish people. Half Jewish, half not. And he turned back and he glorified God with a loud voice and he fell on his face at his feet. He worshipped him and he gave him thanks. And Jesus simply said this, I was kind of expecting ten. Weren't there ten of you? How come only one came back? I honestly wonder sometimes whether the Lord looks at us after something has gone on in our life and says, well, now, you know, he doesn't do that. That's not in God's character. But, you know, play along with me for a minute. What's the deal? I get nothing from that? Come on. You think that maybe... You think maybe sometimes you're not doing what you ought to be doing in your life when it comes to God blessing you in remarkable ways? And God may be saying, I thought I did that for a lot more than the few who said thanks today. He said, was no one in verse... 18, was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this one foreigner? And he said to him, stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. Now, understand, he had already been cleansed, right? But this guy went to another level. This guy, I believe we're talking spiritual cleansing now too. Your faith has saved you. You're physically and spiritually healed. And that's an incredibly important thing, isn't it? One of the things that we as believers need to come to grips with is that we have blessing upon blessing upon blessings upon blessings and we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. We're saved. We have heaven. And sometimes we look at other people and we think, why don't we have the blessings that they have? And we need to be reminded that's all they're ever going to get. I have this and I have that. I have far more. And it is way greater. And sometimes we as Christians, we're a little irked at God because we say, God, I belong to you. I go to church. I go to Bible studies. I study. I pray. I do the right thing. How come they're getting so much and I'm struggling? Hold on. Look what else you have. Look what God has done for you. He has given you spiritual life. And that is way better, isn't it? And it's forever. Because the blessings that we get on this earth, they're pretty short-lived many times, aren't they? Spiritual, that's forever. And so that's exactly what was going on in this passage here is that this guy was go on your way, cleansed, you're healed, you have far more than that. I want to end our time together with two passages. And these are two passages that talk about lack of gratitude. 
so that we can be encouraged even further to make sure that we are full of gratitude, that we indeed make sure that as we walk out of this place, we are indeed being the one. We're the one. I, it doesn't matter what anybody else does it. I'm the one. I'm going to thank the Lord. Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. It says this beginning at verse 1, 2 Timothy 3. But realize this, that in the last days difficult times will come, for men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. Avoid such men as these. This is a bad list. And right in the middle of it, at the end of verse 2, ungrateful. Ungrateful. I believe that being grateful puts us on a path that goes one direction, and being ungrateful puts us on a path that goes another direction. That much of what goes on in our life is going to be dictated by are we grateful or ungrateful. And now turn with me to Romans chapter 1. Verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks. But they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Even though they knew God, they did not honor Him nor give thanks to Him. May that never be said of us. Even though we know God, we don't honor God or give thanks to God. Take a journey through your life. Take a survey. Make a list. You have a lot to give thanks for. A lot to give thanks for. Be the one. Always, always, always return to the Lord and fall down at His feet and worship Him and give Him thanks. In everything, Paul says, Give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Father, we do indeed have so much to be thankful for. And yet, there are times when we grumble and gripe and complain something fierce. Forgive us, cleanse us, convict us, grow us, change us, that we would be like the one who came back, fell down, worshipped, and gave thanks. We love you.
thank you so very much for loving us. We pray in Jesus' name.